This is The Playbook. I've been waiting for this episode, I think, before I even had a podcast, 1,300 and some episodes into it. I have James Twyman, a thought leader, an author, founder of Namaste Village, uh, but for me, uh, just a true leader, helping to accelerate what my participation in this perception of the universe is. Welcome to The Playbook, James. It is so great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you know, I have tried to read everything that you've written and, uh, you know, everything from the Boost Troubadour to, of course, the Moses Code and the newest books, uh, The Non-Dual Universe and Ten Symptoms of Enlightenment. They all seem to have a thematic commonality of reconciliation. And one of the reasons that I'd love to speak with you is I have a difficult time communicating in my mission to empower people to be happy. Where do we reconcile the faith, the spiritual the universe with time or the pragmatic world? And you do such an eloquent job in all of your writings to help people, whatever stage they're in, be able to take the steps forward for that reconciliation. Uh, for you, how did you start understanding what I call reconciliation? You can define it or, or let everyone know what you determine I'm speaking about. But how did that start for you that you saw there's this construct, uh, conflict or counterintuitive nature to understanding, hey, I got a mortgage, a car, all these things, but there may be more that I can utilize in order to facilitate even more than just the material things that I perceive that I want. Yeah, good question. Thank you. You know, I think one of the challenges that we all have is that we try to balance our physical lives and our spiritual lives or or the the heart's uh, longing for truth, for an experience that in many ways transcends all of the physical needs and expectations. We try to balance these things and it's like trying to live in two worlds. Uh, we, we think, well, I, I want to be a spiritual person, but I also have to pay the mortgage. Well, the truth is, uh, when you are focused only on the truth, or another way to say that would be to focus on living in the experience of love, no matter what. It's uncompromising to, to, to seek, to share, to express love, no matter what the conditions are. Everything else in our lives lines up perfectly. You know, Jesus put it the clearest 2,000 years ago when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will come to you. But what we try and do is we try and keep them separate. Well, I've got this and I've got that. And so what I'm a proponent of is bring it all together. Let it be just one thing. Don't, don't think that you need to separate uh, all of those needs. Know that if you are uh, if you're seeking the experience of that unconditional, uh, uncompromising love in your life in every way, especially the ways where it's most difficult, all of those things are going to take care of themselves. And, you know, you say reconciliation, I would say forgiveness really the same thing. Uh, it, it begins with us. It begins with us being willing to forgive our own weaknesses, our own failings. And like St. Francis says in the prayer of St. Francis, it is in giving that we receive. The more we offer this to others, the more we forgive others, the more we find ourselves just coming into the natural evolution 
of of a life that is uh, not balanced between the unreal and the real, but which is wholly focused on that expression of love. And that expression of love, the truth, the potential, as sometimes I refer to it in the pursuit of that potential, has also an intertwined belief or faith that I think allows us to be protected and promoted in the daily uh, pain, setbacks, failures, and mistakes that we make, which then, of course, utilizes forgiveness. What things have you read or studied that has allowed you to further understand, you know, for me, Course in Miracles comes to mind when somebody has the perspective or the uh, perception that you do. Um, but what things can people look at to prepare themselves to understand even your own book? Uh, you know, I have found from other readings that I've enjoyed rereading what you've written because I understand a different layer of what you're talking about with the depth of knowledge that I attained by reading other people's books. Yeah, well, you you hit the first one right on the uh, on the nose, and that's A Course in Miracles. I've been a student of A Course in Miracles for over twenty five years now, and you know, I was raised in a very Catholic uh, family. I'm actually a priest and a Franciscan, and people often ask, "Well, how can I balance? You know, how can I be a Course in Miracles student or student of truth and also?" something more traditional, like being a priest. I, I always love to quote a good friend of mine uh, who w was from Boston in a very thick Boston accent. He was the same way. He was, of course, a miracle student. He was also a former Franciscan. And he used to say in his, his very thick accent regarding the church, he would say, I know she's a whore, but she's my mother. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, okay, we really can bring all of these things together. So many uh, of the great um, mystics of Christianity, as well as Islam and, and many other traditions, I find great richness in. Um, one of my very favorite uh, authors is Thomas Merton, who is a was a Trappist monk who lived in, in Kentucky, probably the greatest spiritual writer of the 20th century. Uh, and so... You know, we, we use that word non-dual. Non-dual just means one. It's, it's the experience of oneness as opposed to duality, which is what the ego mind is focused on. This and rather than there's only one thing. Now, that transcends the, the intellectual mind. Uh, we can't understand that intellectually but we can experience that. So whether it be A Course in Miracles or my, you mentioned my new book, The, the Non-Dual Universe. I, I tried to, in very short little lessons to bring that out more in that book. And really these are lessons that I, I shared here at our, our Namaste Village community in Mexico. Uh, just short little clips that give a glimpse into the experience of that non-dual universe, right? It's an experience. It's not an intellectual gaining. We can't understand it, but if we surrender into it, that, that experience takes hold and everything changes. So you asked about other books. I, I really can't think of any others because I, I always joke, I say there are really only two um, authors I read, the author of A Course in Miracles and Stephen King. That's I love it. 
and to that that end too we have this separation of spirituality and religion and i thought in your writings that you address it really well i i can't remember who taught me this but i, I loved it my brother uh, went to harvard and just an extraordinary academic but is also a rabbi phd in social ethics uh and so we have these conversations and i always say people that are religious are afraid of going to hell people i find that are spiritual have been in hell and they don't want to go back and right. i think that's a difference that's a difference between me and my brother um but you do address punishment uh in a historical sense uh of religion uh that th there's a sense and i uh, would love for you to share your perspective of how uh, the non-dual notion of spirituality and religion uh, also can be uh, constructed together for our benefit and love and, and, and forgiveness. Well, first of all, most religious traditions, especially the Judeo-Christian tradition, um, focuses at the very start on original sin. At least that's the idea of the very start. But there was something that came before that, which is so often forgotten, and that's original innocence. Original innocence is our natural state. And yet this idea of guilt and sin and all of these things crept in because this is how the egoic mind keeps control by always keeping us in this guilt loop. Every little thing we do is okay, another reason to feel guilty. And we aren't able to access that original innocence that's within each and every single one of us. For example, in A Course in Miracles, one of the primary lessons is, I am still as God created me, perfect and whole and complete. If we can remember that, that that state of original innocence has, has never left us then it's a good beginning. But you're right, with, with so many of the traditional religions, it gets bogged down in dogma and theology. And, and yet every once in a while, in every tradition, a mystic comes along. Like being a Franciscan, for me, that primary mystic would be St. Francis. 800 years ago, Francis came along in Italy, and he just had a very simple idea. He wanted to see if it was possible to do this for real, not just pretend, but to really do this. And by the time he died, 20, I think 22 years after he started his ministry, literally a quarter of Europe were Franciscans. Most of them lay Franciscans. That's, I mean, I mean something happened because he simply wanted to do it for real. It caught Europe on fire. And to this day, 800 years later, that fire is still burning strong. And Francis is often given some credit for inspiring the Renaissance. And I'm wondering if, if there were enough of us who decided to live this message in a similar way, would we be on the brink of a new Renaissance? I think it's, it's desperately needed. I mean, we, we live in a, a dark age, just like Francis did. Uh, and there are so many other mystics, even today, who are in that non-dual experience and are offering that state of original innocence to everyone. But we, we do have to let go of, of the dogmatic approach. You know, being a priest, um, people don't expect that that's my focus, but it is. I mean, original innocence. Forget about original sin. 
that'll take care of itself. You just focus on your own innocence and the innocence of everyone you know and meet, and the, the rest will be a cakewalk. You wrote also the 10 symptoms of enlightenment, which is a practical guide uh, to awakening, to finding that light. And that original innocence, to me, created a great paradigm shift in my life. Instead of always wanting more, more health, more wealth, more worthiness, more you know, wisdom, it was I am, not to get into the Moses code, but I am that I am, right? I am happy. I am healthy. I am wealthy. I am worthy. And my job in that wholeness is to figure out what I'm doing to interfere with it, uh, which then brings back this idea of ego, of the survival mechanism that, you know, somehow if I am holiness, then if I don't feel that way or do that way or say that way or think or believe that way, then I must be interfering with who I am. And right. with these symptoms of enlightenment, I found uh, there to be, you know, this sense of the reverse of this paradigm, how can people understand that faith that's required that I am whole and I'm you know not from sin, but I am whole and I'm just interfering uh, with that when I utilize uh, the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, yeah. frustrated, guilty, etc. You know, I, I would bring it down to two simple things. Number one, be humble. This is so important today because so many people think that once they begin to experience this, uh, this, the rush of energy and light that comes when we begin to open spiritually, they begin to, uh, to think that, okay, I've got it. Now, now I need to be the, the great teacher, the great, great guru. And the truth is that's the time to be most humble, to realize that I don't have it, it has me. And if I can just relax into that and, and not take responsibility for anything, the, the more I do that, the, the, the cleaner the energy comes through me. So that would be the first thing, to stay humble. And the second is similar, be in service. Be in service to others. Help others in any way you can. Uh, we mentioned the prayer of St. Francis before in that one line, it is in giving that we receive. Whatever it is we want in our lives, be the source of that. Uh, there's a great uh, quote, or actually a prayer, that Mother Teresa wrote that I put to music many years ago, and I love to sing. It's my favorite song I think I've ever uh, written. And the words are simply, when I'm hungry, give me someone to feed. When I'm thirsty, give me someone to give a drink to. When I'm cold, give me someone to keep warm. On and on, this idea of... Be the source of that which you want to receive. So be humble, be in service, and the rest will take care of itself. The last question is more personal for me because I believe that in that humility uh, becomes a wish, a prayer, or an ask. Uh, that if we are at one, uh, giving, receiving, being one, that you know my daily prayer is may God put at least 10 people in front of me that I can help and may God put at least 10 people that can help me. I believe in a pragmatic sense that when we ask for help, not only is it a action of humility uh, to allow someone else to be of service, uh, to provide an add value or a value add world instead of a zero sum game, it actually is a blessing as well 
Um, but it's the fastest way to get to where I want to be is to ask for help by someone who's already there or has mm-hmm. what I, I, I want. But more importantly, then the idea, the secondary idea that most people subscribe to is, you know, to give, to be of service like Mother Therese, who's an exemplary person to this, that actually creates um, statistical success. Uh, and I'm talking in a quantum or religious or spiritual way that when we are humble enough to be of service, that it creates a statistical success because we are confirming or reconfirming the oneness and we are creating a community and the collective consciousness is much more statistically successful than the individual ego-based consciousness. And so if we want to accelerate where we have a trajectory in our life of what we want and we want statistical success, I believe we have to do both. We have to live our lives in service, but we should seek uh, and wish from the greater than us for the acceleration as well. Um, for you, is there the receiving side of, of teaching? Um, because very few people really talk about, you know, the guilt associated with receiving and humility associated with receiving. Well, uh, first of all, sometimes I feel like the luckiest person in the world to be able to share the way I do and to have lived the life uh, where I've traveled all over the world, having these amazing adventures, going to war zones and sharing peace concerts and now living in this little town of Ajijic, Mexico and the community Namaste Village, uh, where we have 41 houses or apartments. And I don't know how it all happened. It just kind of happened. It just kind of falls into place. The, the, the more we, ch- we really choose to do this for real, uh, I, I've received more than I could have ever asked for. Sometimes it astounds me, the richness in my life. And, you know, I think that's part of it. And this is what I really tried to focus on in, in the Moses Code. It's not about riches. It's about richness. It's not about good. It's about goodness. And rich, richness and goodness will satisfy us in ways that goods and, and riches never will. I mean, we, we know people who have, you know, billions of dollars, and yet they'll, they'll never be satisfied. And living here in Mexico, my neighbors have very little, but they're truly happy. Uh, I mean, to me, that, that's the testament that it, it has nothing to do with what you have. It has to do with what you give. It has to do with where your real focus is. So uh, I'm constantly receiving goodness on every level. I hope I can just continue to give that uh, to everyone uh, who comes into my frame, even dogs. <laughs> oh, that one. <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Well, hold, yeah. hold up the book one more time for me because I think it's an essential must-read. The non-dual universe, uh, understanding this reconciliation. Uh, visit the village if you haven't read the multiple books that James has written. You're missing out uh, because it will give you a different perspective to live in abundance. And I know one of our mutual friends who has passed away that had the greatest impact on my life, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Uh, as well. My first book that I wrote was called Connected to Goodness, and you and Dr. Dyer had an incredible influence on that book, and I know from being with so many other leaders, thought leaders in the Transformational Leadership Council to other authors and speakers around the world, your influence is being amplified, Uh, and Mm -hmm. I think that's 
an important acknowledgement in order to acquire that knowledge there needs to be more people like James Twyman on earth being of service uh, elevating others to elevate himself in uh, how do you put it we, we actually have to in a Franciscan way, we actually have to do this. Is how do we say that, James? We have to be the source of that which we seek, and to give and to realize that giving and receiving are really the same thing. Absolutely, and thank you for showing up. I want to do more with you. This has been a, a personal. Some of these uh, I, I get to do for commercial purposes. This was completely. Uh, I know everybody wants to hear you, but anything I can do anywhere, anytime. Uh, I will be there for you, James Kleinman. Thank you for having such a great impact on my life. And I hope I am of service to the message and to the truth uh, as you are. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining me. This is David Meltzer with Entrepreneur, The Playbook.